We have been, over the last few weeks, talking about this idea of identity, of vision of ourselves, and trying to think about some biblical categories of identity that I think both in and outside of the church we've kind of lost track of. And so uh, I've got this graphic, um, will you put that image up, that comes from Dallas Willard. And he talks about these different um, components of who we are that Scripture speaks about. And at the core of, of our personhood, uh, the very center of that series of circles, it says spirit or heart or will. So we began talking about the heart, not as the source of our emotions, but in the biblical understanding, the heart is the source of our choices, right? It's where um, we have the ability to decide what we want to do. And we said that at that most central component of our identity, we are who we choose to be. And then last week, we talked about mind, and we said the mind, at least in the biblical worldview, is, is both thoughts and feelings. And we said we don't have control over our thoughts and feelings like we do over our choices, but we can manage them. And we said we are who we, what we choose to think about. Today we're going to talk about body, and in fact, because I think we are so confused on this topic, we're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about uh, the component of body and how it relates to our identity. Um, so uh, you, can, you can take that off for a minute. So I, I want to think about um, a theology of the body that I think has been lost. And before I get to what I think we should believe, I'm going to start with what I think we already believe. I think there are really two big ideas or big ways of thinking about our bodies and our identity that are most common in our world. And I could um, explain how these ideas go all the way back to Epicurus and Plato, and maybe we'll get to them later, but I think there are some philosophers even better than Epicurus and Plato to explain these ideas to us, okay? So one of those philosophers is a, is a famous one you know um, called Madonna, and one of those philosophers is a band you might know called The Police, okay? So um, I want to play um, the first philosopher, uh, a woman named Madonna, and her perspective on um, our bodies and how they relate to our identity. So just play that little clip. I'm like trying so hard not to dance because um, that would really be memorable but in the wrong kind of way. Um, so uh, ma material girl, right? We are material girls. Um, this is the simple idea that this world is all there is, right? The physical world is all there is and so um, you got to enjoy it while you can because you're not getting anything after it, right? And I think this is a pretty common philosophy in our world today, right? Um, I don't think that's as much a Christian philosophy. I think Christians, um, we, we often fall into the second error that um, I think the police explained for us so clearly. Can you play that clip? Um, boy, isn't this how we often think about ourselves, our bodies, and our identities, that, oh, I'm a spirit, 
that inhabits this body, but it's not really me. The real me part is this spirit or this soul that animates my, my flesh, right? The flesh isn't really me. Uh, so if we wanted to go back, we would say the material girl philosopher, that Epicurean idea from, you know, Greek antiquity is that there is nothing but the physical, right? Materialism or physicalism. Maybe we could say matter and energy is all there is. And then the police, right, which kind of connect to Plato, is this idea that there is a spiritual world that's real. There's a little bit of spiritual stuff in you. All this material stuff is going to go away. It's not really important. Only the little bit of spirit in you is all that matters. And I want to suggest that both Madonna and the police are wrong, right? Pretty profoundly wrong. Uh, and that there is a different philosophy that Scripture speaks about. We're going to spend today talking about it, but in broad strokes, Scripture tells us that our bodies relate to our identity in two really important ways. First, um, that our body is an inseparable part of who we are, and second, that our bodies are good, okay? So our body is an inseparable part of who we are, and our bodies are good. God made them good. Okay, so uh, stay with me because I want to I unpack that, and I want to go all the way back to the very beginning. Actually, I want to go back to before the beginning. So we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, um, but, but before that is an interesting time. We don't have a lot of Scripture that explains to us what was going on before creation, but we know one clear thing, right, that, that God is around before creation, that, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit exist before creation. And um, something really weird happens on day one of creation because God makes physical things. He makes light and, and uh, light's energy and a particle, whatever, but it's, it's a physical thing. It's part of creation. And God likes the light and He says it's good. This is really strange. So um, it's really hard for us to do this, but, but imagine for a moment that you lived in a world um, like God did, right? You lived in this spiritual world where there is nothing physical, right? God is spirit, not made of matter or energy or dark matter or dark energy or any of that stuff, right? God is spirit. And all of a sudden, um, He makes this physical stuff that's never existed before. Now, God makes angels. Okay, sure, that makes sense because they're spiritual beings, right? They're like God in the fact that they're not made of particles and waves. And, but, but then He makes physical stuff, and it's weird. Why is he doing this? Um, I, I, uh, this week, I bought my first cryptocurrency, which is just a weird thing, and I can… it's weird. Um, and and I've, I've got a buddy who's been pushing me to do it, and I keep saying, well, we already have money, right? So why do we need crypto? Because we already have money. Um, and I kind of think this might be how the angels… Um, would have looked to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and said, wait a minute, why are you making physical things? Like we already have the spiritual world and it's better and it doesn't get old, it doesn't get tired, it doesn't die. Why would you make physical things? But God's like, no, no, this is going to be cool. Watch what I'm going to do. So, so God makes um, the light and He makes the sky and He makes the dry land and the fish and the birds and the animals and all this stuff. And, and He makes everything and He says, wow, I am really excited about this, right? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And on the last day, right before He says it's very good, He makes people. Uh, and then, um, jump ahead to the second creation story in Genesis chapter 2, um, we get this really interesting moment where we're told um, that God breathes into the nose, the nostrils of the person He makes from the ground. Um, 
So this is verse 7 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God, Yahweh God, formed man, um, Adam, from the dust of the ground, and Adama, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay, uh, that's uh, neshmat, uh, neshmat chaim, the breath of life. And the man became a living being, a nefesh chaya. Uh, so I, I, we got to spend a little bit of time in Hebrew here because it's going to help us, even though um, I know it sounds ridiculous. Uh, so do me a favor, will you say uh, neshmat chaim? You got to sort of chaim, like you're going to, it's going to be gross at the end of it, okay? Uh, neshmat chaim. It's, it's chaim. There you go. That's great. So uh, neshmat is a Hebrew word that means breath or spirit or wind, okay? Sometimes we have another Hebrew word called ruah, which means the same thing, and we could have a whole sermon on those two words, but not this sermon. Uh, so neshmat chaim is, is the breath of God that gets breathed into the nostrils of the body that he's formed from the dust. And then we're told the, the body becomes a nefesh chaya. Say nefesh chaya. You guys are great. Okay, love it. Um, so uh, the, the word nefesh is the word translated in our NRSV as being, right? Chaya means living, but, but nefesh is translated as being. But that's not a great translation. Usually the word nefesh means soul. Okay, so every time in the Bible in the Old Testament, almost every time, that you see the word soul, it's this Hebrew word, nefesh. So something really interesting happens. God breathes something of Himself, His, um, his neshmah, into the body, and the body becomes a living soul. This means two really important things for us. Uh, the first is, and we're going to spend a whole week on the soul later, but just go with me. The first is that your soul is not a part of your body. Your body is a part of your soul. Okay? Are you with me? Um, there's the body, and there's the neshma, and then when they come together, it makes a nefesh. It makes a soul. Your soul doesn't live in your body. Your body lives in your soul. Okay? Your body is part of your soul, at least in the Hebrew theology. Um, even more important, um, we start realizing the, the, the role of humans in this new, bizarre, material world God has created. Because we got the spiritual world over here, right? We got where um, God and the angels exist, and we've got the material world over here where there's, I don't know, dogs and cats and fish and stuff. And then God makes humans, and He says, ah, you're going to have a foot in both worlds, right? You're going to have a foot in the spiritual world, and you're going to have a foot in the physical world, and, and you're not just one or the other. You're not a spirit pretending to be physical. You're not a physical being wishing that you could have a spiritual experience. You are both all the time. You are the bridge between the first spiritual stuff and this new physical stuff, right? This, this is kind of incredible. So when, when God made us, He said, um, I have this incredible plan. You're going to bring together everything I made. You're going to bring together the spirit and the physical. You're going to bring together the animals and the angels, right? You're going to bring it all together in you, humans, because you're like me. So this idea uh, that, that God makes us um, and our bodies are part of our identity is overwhelmingly important for us, right? We, we are not... Um, Platonists, or, or um, we're not the police who believe that 
we're a soul that God made and then drops in a body for a period of time. We, we come to life, our soul comes into existence um, when God's Spirit and our body come together. And uh, when God does that, He says, this isn't just good. This is very good. I love what I am doing. I love what I have made. I love what I've done with you. You are spirit and you are flesh and you are good. I think we really struggle with this. Uh, I think we struggle with, with both of these realities, right? Um, we struggle with the reality that my body is part of who I am, and we struggle with the reality that my body uh, and my, my physical, spiritual reality is a good thing. And, and we see this in all kinds of ways. Um, I, I came across a story about uh, a girl named Kitty Wallace this week. Um, Kitty Wallace is a, a woman who grew up in England, and um, she shares her story of um, her overwhelming self-consciousness. Um, so uh, in the report, it said that Kitty Wallace remembered very clearly the first time she felt there was something horribly wrong with her face. She was eight years old in her downstairs bathroom with a friend as they washed their hands before dinner. She says, I just remember looking at our reflection and thinking how different I looked to her. At that moment, I had this very strong feeling that my face was offensive or disfigured compared with hers, and then a sudden realization that this must be as obvious to everyone else as it was to me. Uh, the belief in the wrongness of her own face grew stronger and stronger. By the time she reached her teenage years, it was all she thought about, along with an acute paranoia about public humiliation. She uh, says, the fear of people noticing how deformed I was, of being made fun of, was overwhelming. It was like everyone was looking at me and judging me. Um, what she didn't understand was that she was suffering from um, body dysmorphic disorder, um, which is uh, an illness that makes us look at ourselves as though there's something profoundly flawed about ourselves. She struggled with this for years. Um, she said that uh, when she was a teenager, she would get up at 5 a.m. every morning and spend two hours on her makeup before she could leave her room and go down to breakfast. She says, quote, I'd eat breakfast really quickly, run back up to my room to check my makeup, go to class, go back to my room to check my makeup, always checking, 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 that I'd managed to hide how disgusting my face was. I couldn't let it slip for a minute. It was exhausting, and I was desperately lonely. Let me show you a picture of Kitty Wallace as a child. Um, will you put that image up? Um, that is a cute kid. Um, there's nothing wrong with her face, um, but she has been convinced uh, at this incredibly young age that there was. Um, will you put up a picture of Kitty Wallace today? Um, now she's a beautiful young woman. And Kitty is involved in helping people in England who have body dysmorphic disorder um, come to some realization about who they are. Um, but she says it's been a lifelong struggle for her, right? There's literally nothing wrong with her, right? But she's convinced that something about her body isn't good. And, and I think Kitty's experience is an extreme version of a lie we've all heard and even told ourselves. You can take the picture down. Thank you. Um, We've, we've told ourselves that something about us, especially about our bodies, just isn't good enough. 
that we're not smart enough or pretty enough or fast enough or funny enough. Uh, and and um, boy, that maybe we could fix it if we just got the right stuff together, if I just got the right makeup or if I just had the right cosmetic surgery, or if I just ate the right food or stopped eating enough food, or if I, if I just convinced people uh, to look at only the pictures on my social media feed that I wanted them to see and never anything else, um, that maybe eventually I'd start looking or feeling better. Uh, and, and this idea that there is something wrong with me, something wrong with my body, um, something broken about me, can lead us to terrible places, uh, as can this idea um, that my body is just something that I use, right? Something that I inhabit and enjoy for a while. Um, this leads us to, uh, as Paul talks about in Corinthians, to sexual encounters that cheapen ourselves and cheapen others. It uses us, leads us to drugs and alcohol, to workaholism, to not getting enough sleep or uh, not uh, eating enough food or eating too much food. Um, it leads us um, at some point, sometimes like Kitty, to really profoundly dislike who we are and, and even like our body and what it looks like uh, to the point of, of body dysmorphic disorder or um, surgeries to change how we look or um, eating disorders or cutting or suicide. And all of that is rooted in this lie um, that our bodies aren't us and they're not good. So, Today, you got to help me put aside Madonna and the police, okay? Um, you got to help me in your own life to say, I, we need to be reminded of this fundamental truth uh, that when the God who made you looks at you, He thinks, I knocked it out of the park, right? And, and yes, some of you may be balding, right? And I'm really sad for those of you that's happening to you guys. That's really sad. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, some of you may say, hey, there are legitimate things about me I don't like. Um, but God looks and says, it was never the amount of hair on your head or the shape of your nose or how much you weigh or don't weigh that I liked about you. What I like about you is that you look like me, that, that you reflect me to the world, that you are this bridge to bring together the spiritual and the physical, right? What I like about you has nothing to do with anything that you've ever worried about or that you could ever lose or ever gain. So uh, this, this incredible message um, for us, uh, really, really simple, um, that um, God made you, your body is part of you, and it is good. Now, uh, let, me, let me say this. Uh, I want to be really careful that this doesn't come across as just a positive self-image sermon, right? I am I'm for positive self-image. That's great. Um, and, and I don't want this to be just uh, don't do drugs and sleep around sermon, though you shouldn't do drugs and you shouldn't sleep around. Um, because there's, there's more to this unpacking of, a, of our, the significance of our bodies and our identities than just those two things. Uh, Come with me to 1 Corinthians for a minute. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes this incredible metaphor. R remember, if you don't, remember um, that at the time of Jesus and really throughout most of the Old Testament, from Moses to Jesus, um, there is one place on earth where God is understood to, to abide in a unique and physical way, right? And, and, and that's the tabernacle and, the, and then later what becomes the temple, right? 
And so at the time of Jesus, and really, again, throughout the whole Old Testament, if you want to encounter the presence of God, there's only one place you can go. This is not like other religions. Other religions, you can have a temple to Zeus in every city. In fact, you can have a temple to Zeus in every city and a temple to Hera in every city and all you want. Um, But in Scripture, you cannot have a temple to Yahweh in every city. You can't even have multiple temples. There is one, and it's in Jerusalem. And it's the only place you can go to encounter the presence of God. Part of the reason Jesus is in the temple all the time, right? So then you come to 1 Corinthians, and, and Paul has this unbelievable metaphor. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? which you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So, do me a favor, look around this room for a minute. It's really pretty, right? We got the great wood ceilings, we got the big cross, we got the stone communion table, baptismal font. It's really a pretty room. But what Paul is saying is that you are a more holy place than this room. Paul is saying that all the cathedrals and the monasteries in the world that have ever made or been made or will be made cannot contain God the same way that your arms and legs and head and torso can. Paul is saying that the reason we don't need to rebuild the temple, which was the center of our worship for 1,500 years is because we upgraded from the temple to you. That now your body is that place where God's Spirit chooses to dwell, where the world gets to encounter the presence of God. Uh, And and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool when we were the bridge between the, the spiritual world and the physical world. But now Paul says, you're not just the bridge between the spiritual and the physical. Now you bring God everywhere you go. That there are no physical acts that don't also involve the presence of God because God dwells in you. That's incredible. And also kind of intense, right? That, that whatever I do with my body, wherever I go with my body, God is there and is in me and is with me. What would happen if we started thinking about ourselves this way? What would happen if we started thinking about our identity and our bodies, um, not just as that place, the spirits in the material world, I'm temporary, temporary holding tank, um, but instead, no, God has descended into me and asks me to carry Him everywhere else I go. Well, um, I might treat my temple differently. Uh, I wouldn't write on the walls and crayon in this room, and I wouldn't leave trash on the floor, and I wouldn't spill coffee on the carpet, um, and so I shouldn't do that in my temple. Uh, and, And I hope that the world will come and, and meet Jesus. And I hope they come into this room and do that. And so I hope they'll come uh, to my life. And in my life, they'll meet Jesus too. And you know what? This room isn't perfect. Um, you probably can't see them now, but there are these little cracks in the plaster that have been driving me crazy. And, and Dave Nitzel's been helping me fix the plaster. Um, and, and there's more than just that. All kinds of little imperfections in this room. Does it matter? Not at all. Does it keep you from encountering God? Not at all. There are a host of imperfections in you too. Right? 
And none of them keep people from meeting Jesus in you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, to, to think two thoughts. And to do this, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. So just close your eyes and, uh, and think two thoughts with me. Here's the first question I want to ask you. Um, what is it in your life and in your body um, that you are unhappy about? What part of your body do you need to see with eyes like Jesus today? Uh, the part of you that uh, you want to cover up or ashamed about. Um, and, and can you, even right now, even in this moment, can you say, God, I want to give that over to you. I want to recognize uh, that that thing, whatever it might be, should have no power over me because the beauty of myself is not rooted in those little details. It's in my role as, as your bridge and your temple. Can you do that? Just, just think for a minute about um, what that one thing might be, or maybe there's more than one thing you don't like about yourself and about your body, and give that over to God right now. And then I want you to ask the second question, God, uh, is, there, is there some way in my life right now where I am using your temple in ways that I would never use this sanctuary? God, is there something in my life that I need to change or cut out or start up um, because I'm going to take seriously my identity as your temple, as the place where your spirit dwells. And um, that thing might not be something you can fix this moment. Right? That thing might be something that uh, you've got to work on fixing, uh, and maybe it's a matter of, of saying, God, just help me have the courage to ask the first person I need to ask for help on this journey. Okay, uh, you, you, can, you can open your eyes. Um, I think the, the, the key for us today as we think about our bodies and our identity is really quite simple, right? That, um, that the part of yourself you're least satisfied with, God loves. Uh, that uh, the part of yourself you'd like to pretend isn't really you, really is you. Um, and that um, both Madonna and the police are wrong, right? You, you are not material girls, and you are not spirits in a material world, uh, you are a bridge between the spiritual and the physical worlds that God made. You are a temple where the world comes to meet God. Your body is part of who you are, and it is good. Thanks be to Him. Amen.